Alright, legends. Welcome back, dude, to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive, truly. Okay? Slightest bit of administration out the gate. I'm doing an encore stand-up comedy show in Brisbane, September 22. Hope to see you there. Then I am on the homecoming stand-up comedy tour all down the East Coast. Directly after that, we're going to Gold Coast, Brisbane, Port Macquarie, Newcastle, Wollongong, and Sydney. That is all in the last week of September, directly after my Brisbane Encore show on September 22. So you can get all those tickets via the link in my Instagram bio. It's the, it's the last bit of touring I'll be doing this year. So if you haven't had a chance to see me in 2022, which has been a particularly red hot year for yours truly, this is your last chance. So you can get those tickets via the link in my Instagram bio. But anyway, let's crack into what will no doubt be one of the more significant moments in podcast history. Okay, so obviously particularly tough weekend, not only for me, but for the nation. Uh, first Father's Day, not not without my dad. I didn't see him per se. I was on the road, but we caught up via the telephone. But first Father's Day without the nation's dad, Shane Keith Warren, you know, very tough pill to swallow. Uh, I will say, if you're looking to have a laugh on Instagram, be very careful following Shane's son, Jackson, you know, who's a very, a very bright individual in his own right, professional poker player, etc., etc. okay? But, you know, you follow Jackson Warren, he's an absolute gem, but then every four or five posts, you know, you might get, a, you might get a, one remembering the great man, all of a sudden you're in tears on a Tuesday at a local bus stop, Okay. So Jackson Warren threw up a Father's Day post, absolutely shattering, you know. God, you just get reminded out of nowhere, the great man is gone. And the weirdest thing was, Shane Warren was tagged in the photo. His Instagram is still live, okay, receiving what I can only be, what I can only estimate as countless nudes each day, you know. I would not be surprised if there are some birds in India who, you know, maybe don't have the best internet connection, and are yet to receive the news the great man is gone, and they're still just filling his inbox uh, with some of the more graphic JPEGs you've ever come across. So, Shane Warren's Instagram is still up. What is the policy on social media accounts when people die? You know, is it th- how long do you wait before they take it off the internet? Because it's kind of creepy. It's like when someone... I remember someone died on Facebook a woman I knew, and she was, she was, you know, only 23 or something. But people were posting on her wall saying, I'm going to miss you. And, you know, I don't want to be too cynical about the whole thing, but it doesn't matter where you fucking post it, you know what I mean? Just say a prayer or write it on your bedroom wall or, or what have you, but, you know, you're not going to receive a reply comment from the deceased. So I, don't, I just don't know what the policy is with dead people's accounts, you know, they sort of just sit there. But we're the first generation, we're going to have, because <laughs> we're, we're in social media now, we're all going to die and we're going to have a last social media post on Instagram or whatever whatever comes in. 
Imagine if you just like, <laughs> imagine you're dying in hospital and you got to think, fuck, you know, I've got to get my will in order, but also what's my last Instagram going to be? You know, I'd like to put up a photo of me just in the bed going, I'm dying, lol. <laughs> that'd be so, that'd be so good. Imagine they're about to cut the cord. I'm like, wait, doc, I've just got to go live one more time. Imagine going live from your deathbed. <laughs> hey guys, Billy D here. Just, uh, just coming at you from my deathbed. Yeah, just, they're about to cut the cord any second. Anyway, I just had a couple of final thoughts on the upcoming Ashes series I would like to run past you, you know? Dude, how good would it be if someone went live on their deathbed and just started teeing off on all their relatives, you know? Uh, To Uncle Jason, you piece of shit, I've sat through your crap stories one Sunday a month for the last 30 years. That's the only positive, the fact that I'm going now. I never have to hear you tell me about your new drone and how you flew it over a headland, you fucking idiot, you know? I would love that. Just start taking names on your deathbed. (laughs) Also, how dramatic would people's last Instagram posts be if they knew they were going to die? I saw a chick on Instagram the other week. Her caption, this was for a bikini photo, a quite provocative one as well, okay? I don't want to sort of cast aspersions, and, you know, get anyone too revved up on their Thursday morning here. But this was one of the more provocative bikini photos we've seen, okay? It was one of those bikinis where it's like they're doing their best to not cover as much of the body as possible, you know? It's like, what's the minimum amount of fabric we could use while still allowing this young woman to enjoy the beach without the police being called, okay? So it was quite provocative, and the caption was, Let your soul be a light to the rest of the world. Okay? Now, that's her caption for a casual trip to the beach. Can you imagine how dramatic people would get if they were literally dying? (laughs) I reckon, oh my God, it would be like a new Pelican era on social media. People dying, being like, "Here's here's my life advice. Imagine people giving their life advice in their last dying post. And they like weren't particularly successful. Some guy on the pension is like, never let a day go by without hustling. It's like, what? You were you were a low level HR rep for your whole career. You know, we don't have to listen. We don't have to pretend you know what you're talking about anymore. You're about to die without having achieved anything in particular. So, <laughs> which would be a pretty pretty harsh thing to comment. I think I'd wait for them to finally croak before I sent that absolute barb down the pipeline. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Some of us will die while scrolling Instagram, okay? Some of us will die while scrolling. That, that would be the... And you know what? You'd fucking deserve it, wouldn't you, really? If I'm still scrolling at 85 years old, put a shotgun in my mouth, dude, okay? <laughs> because... I mean, what a complete waste of your time. Imagine you've got three weeks to live and you get the little notification, screen time is up 35% this week. You'd be like, fucking hell, Bill. If you're not going to stop now, when are you? Just in a rabbit hole of cricket highlights from the 90s on Instagram Explore. I mean, seriously. Surely we won't still be addicted to our phones at that age. You'd hope not. 
Because imagine you you die while scrolling. What would the <laughs> like? What would the last post you ever saw be? The last thing you ever saw on planet Earth. You're on Instagram. It's just like your ex from sixty years ago. You're like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, you're still filthy. Like sixty years later. <laughs> It's like an ad for a crypto course. You're like, oh, fuck, is it too late to get into Ethereum? <laughs> I never got into NFTs. As you, as you, as you die. <laughs> oh, God. I hope that's not the case. There will be a generation of people who, like, I guess it's this generation. They're going to die and they're going to be telling their grandkids on their deathbed. Stay off your fucking phone, dude. Stay off it, you know? There's no way we're going to look back at this era, the Instagram addiction era, and be like, oh, yeah, that was sick. I guarantee it. People are losing upwards of two hours a day to TikTok. You can't tell me that's going to age well. Plus, by the time we're 85, we'll all pretend we're fucking fishing on Mars in the metaverse or some shit anyway. Is the metaverse, what is it? Am I in it right now? Where is it? How do you get to it? Is it live yet? Are there people in the metaverse right now, you know, with their little bobbleheads, high-fiving or whatever you do? I have no idea, okay? I have no idea. But anyway, probably time to crack it in some yarns. Anyway, I was not in the metaverse on the weekend. I was traveling this great nation performing stand-up comedy okay what a what a pleasure it is to be back on the road as australia's undisputed pound for pound greatest road dog okay don't look at luke kidgel's tour dates i'm telling you i am australia's greatest road dog so i went to the blue mountains wagga wagga albury wodonga and tumit over the weekend if you've never heard of tumit that's okay. Until about 48 hours ago, I was under the impression it was pronounced Tummit. So, tough way to find out, okay? <laughs> but yeah, great weekend. I was on the Sydney Comedy Festival Showcase Tour, where the Sydney Comedy Festival sends like five stand-ups to regional town for the weekend, and it is sick. You get to play these great theatres in each town. You get treated so well. It's like free beers, free food. You know, it's a real it's a real head fuck when you've been doing crap gigs in Sydney. And then all of a sudden people aren't spinning on you backstage. It's it's great. So really fun trip. Off to a terrible start. Okay, it's said in the freaking they send you like a tour book with all the relevant details of the of said tour. And it said 10 30 a.m. Arrive at fucking the pickup point, jump on the bus, we're heading to Wagga. And you go, okay, no stress. I'm flying across the Harbour Bridge at about five past ten. Living La Vida Loca. I got Avril Lavigne playing, uh, you know, the sun is shining. I'm thinking about some of the better decisions I've made in my life, you know, tapping a toe, etc. And I get a call from the tour manager. And you know when you get a call from someone and you just know, you go, this isn't a why would this person be calling me to let me know? Oh, by the way, Billy, just just want to let you know you're on time and everything's going great. You know, people don't call you for that reason. So I get a call. I go, fuck, bad feeling about this. 
because I'm on time as far as I'm concerned. And she goes, where are you? You never want to get the where are you. I go, wherever I want, you know what I mean? I got 25 minutes up my sleeve before this tour kicks off. And she goes, we're actually meeting at 10, not 10.30. I go, oh, fuck. So I'm off to a terrible start. I'm already late. Everyone's on the bus waiting for me. This is a literally worst case scenario. So I'm now I'm just in a panic. Get there. I get there on the dot at 10.30, ironically, uh, because I live bloody ages away. And yeah, I've lost the, I've lost the group already, okay? I'm, I'm an outcast. They hate me. Uh, there was talks of leaving me behind, you know, just a terrible start. I looked in the tour book, it said 10.30, but the night before we drove to the Blue Mountains and I drove myself, but they were all on the bus. So I think they discussed it on the bus without me because everyone else knew it was 10 a.m. except for me. But I, I had the tour book. I said, see guys, it's 10.30. Is anyone looking at this? But it was too late. It was too late. You know, people people hated me. Um, I sat in the front seat and just let just felt their spit hit the back of my head for the next five hours on the way to Wagga Wagga. So really crap start. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but um, so I was immediately an outcast. That's okay. Yeah, I was opening the show with a gentleman seven minutes. So as far as the hierarchy goes, I was pretty much down the bottom anyway. You know, the headliner was Luke Heggie, the undisputed alpha of the group. And then you sort of go MC, 12 minutes. You sort of work your way down from there. Uh, and I would have been, I would have been last anyway. So I'm, I'm the most irrelevant person on the lineup. I'm late. You know, this is just a fucking nightmare out the gate. But anyway, we go to Wagga Wagga, great town, Wagga Wagga. I've never been a place so nice. They named it twice. That's what they say about Wagga Wagga. I will say Wagga Wagga, one of the best drives in Australia. I've never seen so many uh, cows, sheep, etc. Okay. And we went to the pub for lunch uh, on the Saturday in Wagga Wagga, in North Wagga Wagga, which I didn't know there was, you know, one half of the, I thought one half of the town was Wagga, the other half was called Wagga, you know what I mean? But there's a North Wagga Wagga. We went to the pub. Now, this is just something that is just un, it's unacceptable, it's inexcusable, and uh, it's in poor taste. So I've never seen a pub crank like this on a Saturday. Maybe like 4,000 people in this pub. And the line for food was about 30 minutes long. Okay, I'm not joking. In fact, I'm exaggerating. Let's say 20 minutes, okay? Let's meet in the middle. It was 25 minutes long, the line. And I watched about every second person after a 25-minute wait in line. The lady at the front goes, hi, what would you like? And they go, okay, what have we got here? Okay. And it's like, mate. You had 25 fucking minutes to work out what you wanted to eat. I will say it's one of the, it was one of the more extensive pub menus I've ever seen. But here's the deal with pub menus. Don't let it deceive you, okay? If you see a pub menu with more than like 20 items on it, many of these items are in fact dummy items or they're not real. They're fake. They're fake news, okay? Just because a pub says it's going to do freaking Vietnamese noodle soup, don't actually fucking order it, okay? The chefs in a pub, they're like, they can't actually cook everything on the menu. It's, they're just trying to double bluff you, you know? Oh, let's get the, 
Let's get the sashimi at, at O'Reilly's pub. It's like, if you order that, you know, you're making your own deathbed, okay? It, I know that this pub had like 45 things on the menu, but in reality, it had like seven, okay? You got your pub classics, maybe you got your burgers, couple of pizzas, and a chef special, maybe a fish of the day, okay? All this other stuff is white noise. So get that out of your head. Switch the fuck on when you got 20 minutes to wait because everyone behind you wants to kill you and just get into your work, okay? I mean, really, if you're in a pub, I pretty much every... I'm just working out whether I want the palmy or a steak or failing that, a schnitty with gravy, okay? If you go through those three options and none of them are tickling you, maybe you're in the wrong venue, okay? I remember once I was at a, I was at a Weatherspoons in England and I ordered the egg fried noodles. Okay, I was 19 at the time. So that's why I made such a dumb and reckless decision. Anyway, what came out, it looked like the guy had just nipped over to fucking Tesco and got a bag of ramen and just put it in a fucking bowl. Two minute ramen. It was cold and disgusting with no, with no oriental flavor whatsoever. And I remember I was having a bloody whinge. I said, geez, this is pretty average. And my pommy mate goes, what the fuck did you expect? You just ordered egg fried noodles at a Weatherspoons. You know, the chef is some white guy from Birmingham named Craig. Do you honestly think Craig can cook this sort of cuisine? You're out of your mind. Okay. So I saw a lot of extremely poor pub etiquette. Uh, people like ordering wild shit and taking 10 minutes to do it. Okay. You're wasting my time. You're wasting the chef's time. He's going to have to fucking... You know, he's going to have to Google what a risotto is because you've gotten your fucking venues mixed up, okay? But anyway, great show in Wagga Wagga. Phenomenal. A few Get Around Me listeners came along. Lads from the army, okay? So it's fantastic to know that this podcast finally has the backing of the military, all right? God forbid we go to war with China. You might get a bit of Get Around Me on the Black Hawk helicopter as the boys fly in, you know? Something to keep the spirits up. So, hung out with a few of the army lads. They were all jacked out of their minds. And good blokes. Really good blokes. From what I can tell, I mean, I don't want to speak out of school here. And and feel free to send me a thread on Instagram if this is incorrect info. But from what I can tell, being in the army doesn't sound like the worst deal ever. Okay? The boys were telling me they roll in. They fucking smash weights like they owe them money. They do a bit of paperwork. And then they train the new people, you know, just doing that shit where you're just screaming white noise at people until they either cry or start doing steroids. So it doesn't sound like the worst gig in the world, you know, Wagga's a nice town. A few of them were jetting off to Adelaide at the end of the year, which I, um, I've already, you know, passed on my condolences for that. But yeah, pretty good. It sounds pretty good in the army. Okay. Big controversy. Apparently a few of the officers had been fornicating with a few of the trainees, which is a big no-no uh, in the army, apparently. I don't know. I think, I think if, everyone's, if everyone's above board and consensual, I think play on. But then again, I've never been to war, you know? I don't know if you'd necessarily want your ex-girlfriend in the fucking trenches with you in Vietnam. Could be a bit stressful, you know what I mean? Imagine you're about to go over the top in Vietnam and your ex-missus says like, you never communicated with me. That's why we didn't work. And it's like, Rachel, I've got my fucking hands full here, okay? 
We're about to we're about to take on the Viet Cong. Yes, in this hypothetical, we're in 1965. Okay, don't dispute the timelines. <laughs> but anyway, went out um, after I was hanging with the army blokes. Went out to a you know sort of the the town pub. There was a dance floor, this sort of stuff. And this is something I've not seen before, right? Firstly, lights up on the dance floor. Okay, like lights in the venue were up. Now this is, I'm sorry, I'm a 6 out of 10 with beautiful Irish hips. Um, I'm going to need the lights down, okay? Jesus Christ, is this, give the average man a fighting chance out there. Like really, I don't want, I, I, need, dim, I need dimness, okay? I need, I, need, I need women just to be able to see sort of an outline of my body. So you, just so you don't have to have full view of my Irish hips going nuts to this song. Me hitting the the famous two step, and uh, and then so that that was one thing, and also I feel like it, it is a bit of a fucking. It's not as fun when <laughs> the lights are up. You can see everyone, and like, and then you just accidentally make eye contact with a bloke, and you're both just dancing in basically broad daylight to Katy Perry. I mean, it's fucking uncomfortable, if you ask me. But then the other thing was, so I go, whatever, I'm in town for one night only in Wagga Wagga. I thought, let me just fucking peck around here and see if I can potentially um, kiss a local woman on the lips. And I go onto the dance floor, security sprints over, not intimidating. He was four foot seven. Uh, but he goes, what are you doing? I said, I said, nothing yet, mate, but I'm about to bloody get into my work here. And he goes, no drinks on the dance floor because I had a beautiful Voddy Soddy with me. And I look around, I realize no one on the dance floor has a drink. I go, what the? I said, what sort of backwards 1971 shit is this? So in Wagga Wagga, the dance floors, if you want to get in the mix, lights up, broad daylight, no drinks allowed. I'm, I'm sorry, but fuck me. Can we, give, can we give a man a fighting chance out there, okay? What, what are we trying to pick up on difficult mode or some shit? You know, I need alcohol and darkness to be on a dance floor and preferably some light narcotics, okay? But why don't I just roll in sober, shirtless, you know? Why don't, why don't you just fucking smear me in, in the feces of an animal before you send me out there, okay? Jesus fucking Christ, they're not, they're not mucking about in Wagga Wagga. I'll tell you that, mate. If you want to try and pick up on the dance floor in Wagga Wagga, you better, you better know how to dance. You better be hammered before you get there. And you better be pretty easy on the eyes. Because I'm telling you, if you're a 6 out of 10 with two left feet, Wagga Wagga is not the town for you. Okay? So that was it. I just left after that. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I, I, it felt like a fucking year 8 school dance out there, you know? Like, uh, we're old enough to at least have the lights down a bit. But anyway, also like, you know... Country town, there were some rare sorts on the dance floor, men and women, okay? A lot of neck tattoos, a lot of people who haven't been to a dentist in quite some time. And really, as I'm sort of describing some of the locals, you would think that would be even more of an argument to have the lights down. But whatever. On the Sunday, woke up, Father's Day. We did Wodonga on Saturday. That was great. And then we did Tumut on Sunday, that was great as well. The shows are just great, okay? That's the thing when when you get to do nicer shows, 
you know, there's, there's not really any stories because it's like, oh, we rocked up to this beautiful theater. We were treated really nicely and the crowd was really friendly, you know, like, so it's, it's not exactly riveting podcast content, but I will say on the Sunday, the tour manager goes, I've got a surprise for you guys on the way to Tumut. And we go, okay, sounds good. And she goes, we're going to have a lunch. And I go, beautiful. And so how it works on this tour is they give you per diems on top of your fee uh, to pay for your meals, okay? So we, so you, But you have to pay for your own meals throughout the trip, which is fine. It's a great deal. They give you like more than enough money. And uh, so it's, it's all good. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to a restaurant for lunch. Not so bad here. Got my per diems, which I had spent, you know, quite a bit of at the pub the night before. But I'm thinking this is fine. Anyway, we roll into this like farm to table fucking vineyard experience in the middle of a paddock down south. One of the most beautiful restaurants I've ever been to. Mate, I open up this menu and I swear to God, like a single tear rolls down my eye. This is the most expensive restaurant I've ever been to in my life. Okay. The steak was $70. And, you know, there's already been talks in the table of appetizers or entrees. And I'm literally about to call my mum and ask her to pick me up because, I mean, if I have a glass of wine and a, and a main course here, this could ruin me. Okay. This could, I, I might never financially recover from this meal. And just as I'm about to have a legitimate panic attack, you know, I'm already, I'm already putting it out at the table. I'm like, is anyone else not hungry? <laughs> I'm like, God, I had such a big breakfast. My God, that uh, croissant I had is bloody oh, pushing up against the sides. Don't know, don't know if I'll be getting into too much here, you know. I'm hoping they bring over some fucking free breadsticks. I'm panicking, dude. And then just so I'm about to cry, the tour manager goes, by the way, this is like on the house. All, all, all expenses paid lunch. I go, holy shit. All of a sudden, I'm seeing colors again. You know what I mean? Parts of the menu have unlocked themselves to me. Now it's like, <laughs> what's doing? I'm not even looking at the items. I'm just looking for prices. You know, I, don't, I truly don't care what I eat. Just give me the most expensive thing. I'm about to take the absolute piss. It was honestly like probably the best meal I've ever had in my life. I ordered the steak, $70. It was fucking unbelievable. One of the entrees was raw kangaroo. Do you ever eat at a place so nice you just think, what even is this anymore? Is this still food? It was like a raw kangaroo puree. It's like poor people just don't have access to this, you know? You, you don't just roll into anywhere and have raw kangaroo puree. And you go, let me give this a go because it costs $7,000. And holy shit, it's the best thing I've ever had, okay? So unbelievable meal. And uh, in fact, it was the best meal I've ever had in my life. And it was paid for. I ordered a bottle of wine. It was $150 for the bottle. Now, I don't know if, I'm, if this is impressive or not, but this is by far the most expensive place I personally have ever been. And then the next night I was back to getting discounted mid-strength beers at a gig in Newtown. So <laughs> the highs and the lows of being a touring comedian. But I tell you what, the weekend was sick. The shows were sick. And yeah, by far the best meal I've ever had in my life. So great trip away. Really enjoyed it. Now, I've got a new segment coming in hot. This week, uh, we are debuting weekly Winjaroo, okay? Because sometimes, look, my life is fantastic 
and without too too much adversity. In fact, very little, okay? I'm a straight white male and I got an extra helping of charisma from the great man upstairs. So, you know, it's pretty easy being Billy D and I don't have much to complain about. But at the same time, sometimes you just need to have a bloody whinge, mate, you know? So this week, first weekly whinge, I'd like to have a bloody whingeroo about this. We just got offered a new lease at the lad pad, extra year. And the boys go, yeah, we've been offered an extra year and it's going to be an extra $50 a week. I said, sweet. What are we getting? A new bathroom? Are they upgrading the kitchen? New floors? And they said, no, it's the same. It's the same apartment the way it is. Just an extra 50 bucks. And I resent this dude. Okay. It was the same at our old share house. Every year they want to put up the rent. They can only do it once every two years. But here's the thing, I just resent this process and I understand interest rates are up, inflation's up, but the reality of this is that they put the rent up because they can and they want more money. And at our old lad pad at the start of 2020, in April, our lease came up and we asked for a rent reduction because we had all lost our jobs due to COVID and our landlord still tried to put the rent up. And then the compromise... When we asked for a rent reduction, the compromise was that the rent stayed the same when we had all lost our jobs due to COVID and everyone was getting rent reductions, okay? He still wanted to put the rent up, that piece of shit, okay? And yeah, I understand interest rates are up at the moment, inflation's happening, I miss my ex-girlfriend, I understand the current economic climate, but like I said, they've been doing this for years. I've been in rentals for five years now and they, every opportunity they have, they put the rent up because they can, okay? And I, okay, let's, let's go in on this that this isn't the greatest injustice in the world. But then anytime we email them that, hey, this is broken, this needs fixing, you never bloody hear back. You know, these property agents just completely blank you. At the old lad pad, the balcony off the back collapsed and Danny and Adam fell off and we emailed them saying hey these guys are like injured and concussed and the balcony's broken and they still did nothing about it and then six months later you get an email saying hey if you'd like to still live in this absolute death trap it's going to be an extra 50 bucks a week and it's just it's just garbage and the thing was anytime we email this property agent here this chick oh the kitchen light doesn't work the toilet seat in the bathroom isn't even attached to the fucking toilet. You never hear from them. But as soon as they want to hear about the lease, she's texting us individually saying, did you see my email? It's like, oh, sorry, I couldn't read your email. None of the fucking PowerPoints work, babe. You know what I mean? And I just think, I don't know. And this is exactly what, what the whinge is all about. I don't know if this, I don't know if this is a valid complaint but it smells of injustice. It should be a rule like after three years, they can put the rent up. And there has to be some more accountability for these property managers. These absolute class traitors. Dude, property managers are just dead set traitorous tapeworms, okay? And I'm, I know I'm not breaking any new ground here, but they just, they ignore the renter every time you need something. And then as soon as they want something, it's, rah, 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 what's going on with this? Got, I've got buyers coming through in 10 minutes. You better get out of the shower. I'm bringing three Chinese families through. 
And it's like, God, it's such a one-way street renting, okay? And I, I get that the, you know, they're allowed to put the rent up every two years. But in reality, we've been here for one year and they haven't responded to any of our emails regarding the property. Okay, so it's like, what, what the hell? There's no accountability on the, on the side of the owner or the property agent. There should be like an online portal where you can just type in, hey, Rachel's a fucking bitch. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's so lopsided being a renter. Okay, like I'll go in on this whole, all right, it's expensive and it's going to go up. But if, if we're, if we're going to agree to more money, can you at least agree to do your job? You know what I mean? Is that too much to ask? I don't know. That's my whingeroo for this week. The fact they put rent up all the time and they don't maintain the properties. You know? Do owners even realize that that is part of their responsibility to maintain the property? I mean, just... Sorry, mate. I'm already paying your whole mortgage for you. Is there any chance of of a high five or, or potentially some hot water? in this absolute hellhole. You know what I mean? So I don't know. That's my whinge for this week. I hate how they put the rent up for the exact same property. It's such a fucking stitch up. Okay. But anyway. Okay. Up next, we've got the project for this week. The project is the segment where we highlight and celebrate Australian talent, killing it here and overseas. And this week... Get Around Me would love to congratulate Aussie golfer Cam Smith on inking his new $140 million deal with the Live Golf Competition. Okay, now if you're not across this, congratulations, you're not a golf fan, making you a particularly cool person. Now, I don't know anything about golf, but this is quite a big story, and we've got an Aussie Aussie champion copping some heat in the media, uh, which I simply won't stand for. So... Here's the deal. There is the PGA Golf Tour that all the pros play on. Aussie Cam Smith is ranked number two in the world. Now, there's a new pro golf tour that's been started by Greg Norman and the Saudi Arabian government. It is funded by the Saudi Arabian government. Huge amounts of money, and they're playing more tournaments all around the world, not just predominantly in America. Okay, so Cam Smith has signed on for this live golf tournament for an eye-watering $140 million. It's hugely controversial. If you sign for them, you get banned from the PGA. And a lot of people are bashing Cam Smith saying, mate, how could you do this? You know, how could, what about your legacy? What about the PGA? How could you just take the money? And Cam Smith said, you know, it's a great, it's a great amount of money and he gets to play in Australia more and spend more time with his family. Okay. And this is hilarious. This is where just the judgment of people on Twitter is truly out of control. Because I love like all these accountants and HR reps on Twitter who earn $65,000 a year are like, how could he? I don't understand how he could do it. It's like, are you out of your fucking mind, dude? It's $140 million. That's up. That's what he gets for playing. He could win prize money. On top of that, $140 million, okay? That's generational wealth. His great-grandchildren don't have to work a day in their life, okay? Imagine, wouldn't that put a pep in your step coming out of the womb? 
Imagine you freaking, you get born and you go, Jesus Christ, the world's a tough place. And they go, don't worry. Your great grandfather secured the bag three generations ago with his short game. You'll never have to work. Don't worry about it, mate. You know, the feet up from birth four generations from now. That's the sort of money we're talking about. You know, I love people being like, I would never do that. I would never take that money. And a re- <laughs> which is a completely ridiculous thing. You would, you'd take it yesterday. In fact, you'd take literally one one hundredth of that money. Okay. And the reason a lot of people are blowing up about this is because the tournament is funded by the Saudi Arabian government, uh, which obviously has a horrendous record with human rights and allegedly sort of assassinated or murdered a journalist they had uh, imprisoned in Saudi Arabia, not to mention the way they treat women and minorities and really anyone who's not a Muslim man of wealth. So... People are saying, how could you take the money from the Saudi Arabian government, okay? And it's like, I love I love this. I love this from just normal judgy people. So it's on Cam Smith to shoulder the burden of the atrocities the Saudi Arabian government has committed. He's a golf player. He hits a ball with a stick, okay? And people are so judgy. I would never take their money. I would never take their money. It's like, yeah, sweet. So he has to knock back 140 mil on this moral basis that you are some sort of a freaking ethical hero. Meanwhile, you'll bloody, you'll watch Disney Plus. Disney's human rights record is less than perfect. You know, you'll, you'll use your iPhone every single day, even though it was made in a sweatshop. And there's millions of people who are about to watch the World Cup in Qatar where thousands of people died just making the stadiums, not to mention, you know, the various human rights records of that government, okay? So everyone's a hypocrite. (laughs) Everyone, no one is squeaky clean. The fact that people on Twitter think they are not complicit in any sort of mistreatment of human beings is laughable, okay? You're a child if you think that. And uh, it's like Daniel Tosh has that great joke where he's like, He's like the iPhone factories, they have legitimate suicide nets set up. And it's like, it's like someone jumps out the window, you bounce straight back in like, oh, sorry, boss, just needed some fresh air. (laughs) So it's like, if you have an iPhone, you're in on this, you know, like no one is squeaky clean of this sort of stuff. And I just love these judgy people. It's like, oh, sweet. So if Cam Smith turns down 140 mil, is that going to unkill that journalist? Are they all of a sudden, are women just going to receive equal rights in Saudi Arabia? It's all on Cam Smith, is it? The whole, the fate of the Middle East rests on the shoulders of Aussie golfer Cam Smith. What a ridiculous black and white concept to try and shove home, you know? (laughs) People who say they wouldn't take it. Oh my God. Dude, $140 million. For $140 million. I would let the Saudi Arabian government murder me, okay? Like, this is crazy. Some people are angry at Cam Smith. They don't even fucking follow golf. (laughs) But that's how people just want to be outraged, you know? What's this golfer doing? There are some people who found out who Cam Smith is and in the same sentence are angry at him, you know? And it's like, Jesus Christ. The guy, like... (laughs) 
you just can't the, the world is so complicated and it's all shades of gray you cannot just this black and white thinking it's like people who are against this they're basically saying if cam smith accepts this money to play in a golf tournament he is basically supporting uh what's the word i'm looking for not genocide but he is supporting inequality and the murder of innocent people you know what a truly long bow to draw and what a simplistic way to look at it it's like dude you're out of your fucking mind Okay, soccer players at the end of their careers go and get paid 100 mil to play in the Chinese league every fucking day. Timmy Cahill did it. Play for the Hyundai Red Bulls or whoever. Is Tim Cahill is Tim Cahill uh, responsible for the genocide of the the Yuga people or however you pronounce those those poor blokes? Is is Tim Cahill responsible for the internment camps in China because he scored 17 goals that season? Because that's the line of thinking we've gone down here, and it is fucked. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like, uh, you know, and here's the thing. <laughs> I'm not in favor of the Saudi Arabian government doing horrific things to humans, but I'm also not in favor of blaming Cam Smith for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some bloke gets his head lopped off in a, in a fucking village in the Middle East, and everyone's like, Jesus Christ, this Cam Smith is a real piece of shit. It's like, what? <laughs> he plays fucking golf, mate. Okay. And and the idea that the PGA is uh, you know, this holier than there. I bet the PGA is, you know, get some merch done up in a Korean sweatshop or something, you know? The idea that they're, they're <laughs> that in life we are constantly presented with with uh decisions, you know, a fork in the road. One is complete moral the moral high path where you are completely not associated with any sort of moral inequality in any way shape or form ethically perfect option and then the other way is just the actions of the saudi arabian government and just treating humans less than and uh and human rights atrocities the idea that there's only two options is truly laughable and the idea that cam smith is responsible for either of them is even more laughable than that. Dude, this poor guy. Imagine. But <laughs> it's not like they start the golf tournament in the live thing. They're like, all right, we're going to, here's three white women we're going to behead just to kick off the tournament. It's like, <laughs> I don't think that's what's going to happen. Some of the tournaments are in Australia, you know? It's like uh, when the Taliban took over Afghanistan and everyone was on Instagram going, what are you doing about this right now? What what are what are men in Sydney doing about the Taliban taking over Afghanistan? And it's like, look, I don't want to be a dick about this, but I gotta say, I'm not doing a whole lot. Okay, I wasn't aware I was responsible uh, for who was governing Kabul on a day to day basis. Okay, and here's the thing: while I'm not doing anything about it per se, does that mean I am pro Taliban? No, <laughs> you know what I mean. If it comes out if it comes out that that Cam Smith is like an extremist Muslim and a Taliban sympathizer, this podcast is going to age particularly poorly. Okay? But honestly, I think I think play on Cam Smith. I think anyone who says they wouldn't take 140 mil to play golf is full of shit, okay? If you're watching the Qatar World Cup, you're no better than Cam Smith, so get your head out of your ass. 
And if you don't follow golf at all, don't pretend to be angry at this, okay? It's like when people are mad at Nick Kyrgios and they don't follow tennis. At some point, you know, you do have to actually be interested in the thing you're getting angry about. So that's what I think about poor Cam Smith. I think, good on you, mate. I think secure the bag, you know, he's still playing golf. I really don't have a problem with it at all. Okay, now, just to finish up here, I'd like to talk about the current one-day cricket series going on for Australia. So heads up, a bit of cricket chat coming in here. Uh, I actually, I always put the cricket chat at the end because I know not everyone loves cricket and, you know, people say it's boring and stuff, even though they're wrong. Um, But people often say to me that they actually like the cricket chat, even though they don't like cricket. So I don't know, maybe if you don't like cricket, give it a go. But anyway, one day cricket is currently being played and one day cricket, Australia versus Zimbabwe in a three match series and then Australia versus New Zealand in a three-match series. Now, one-day cricket is irrelevant. It's dead. And it's it, and that one-day cricket is boring. I'll go in on this. You know, one-day cricket hasn't been relevant in quite some time. And what happened is Australia just beat Zimbabwe in the series 2-1. We lost to Zimbabwe. Okay. We lost to Zimbabwe. I don't think you should ever freaking... You should never lose to a country that's in an economic crisis. You know what I mean? (laughs) It is insane we lost to Zimbabwe. I know they've gotten better in the last few years, but Zimbabwe at home, full strength Australia side. I'm sorry, boys. Is Is there any danger of anyone in this team turning up for this match? Okay, this is unacceptable. And like, we didn't just lose. We kind of, we didn't get pumped, but we got bowled out for like 110 or 140, I think. Um, I didn't watch the game because I assumed it would be an absolute training run for the lads. But yeah, we lost to Zimbabwe. It's embarrassing. I mean, it's great for them. You know, they were carrying on like they just won the World Cup. I'm pretty sure you're still ranked dead last, lads. But I appreciate that it was a big moment for Zimbabwe. Good on them. You know, I think a lot of you are probably saying, Bill, we didn't even know Australia played Zimbabwe. And you'd be right to say that. I think now... Either if they don't abolish one-day cricket or get rid of it, you know, abolish sounds like it's evil or something. Like, we must abolish one-day cricket. <laughs> you know, it's like it's racism or something. But that's how that's how, <laughs> that's how boring one-day cricket is. I would almost equate it to racism in its negative impact on the world. But jokes aside, I think one-day cricket is just going to become like baseball where... The thing with cricket is that they make so much money on TV rights in the world, uh, specifically in India. There's a billion people in India, and I don't know if you know this, but they are absolutely ravenous for cricket, okay? To say Indians are ravenous for cricket is insulting to the word ravenous, okay? You would, like, Indians watching cricket, it's like, I don't even know how to describe their enthusiasm. It's like... Or it's bordering on like rabid behavior, you know? So they absolutely love it. So you can make so much money selling the TV rights to India that it doesn't actually matter that no one's going to these games. And further than that, it doesn't actually matter that no one in Australia is watching them. Okay, so when you see Australia play Sri Lanka in a five-match one-day series and there's seven people at the game, not even the players' parents have rocked up. And you're thinking, how is this still happening? It's because... They make so much money on the TV rights that it doesn't matter. It's the same in America. 
That's why in baseball, they play like legitimately five, six days a week. And, you know, apart from the big games and the playoffs, stadiums are third full because they're making so much money on the TV rights. So that's where cricket is headed and specifically one day cricket. Uh, and it's weird. I'm in for one day cricket staying as long as they only play three match series. What killed one day cricket was they got so greedy with it. We started playing seven match series against people. And again, it comes back to the TV rights. That's why the NBA have seven match playoff series. It's all about the advertising and the TV rights. So they got greedy. They diluted the product. Then they started having like, the thing is, we started having like the Australia A side play in the one day is basically because players need to rest and stuff. So it doesn't really work. It doesn't work if you had the Lakers playing, you know, insert another NBA team here. I'm not familiar, but you can only have a good seven match series if both teams field their best teams. And it got to the point with one day cricket where you got two, you know, reserve international sides playing each other in 27 matches. And you're thinking, Jesus Christ, what hell is this? So that's where it's headed. And uh, I think as long as they keep the matches as three-match series, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll try and tune in, no promises. But Australian cricket captain Aaron Finch is under fire. Uh, we played New Zealand last night and beat them, and Aaron Finch got five. He is on a horrific run of form. And a lot of people are saying he should be dropped. I don't think he should be dropped, okay? The thing with Aaron Finch is that He's an interesting guy. He's built like a brick shit house. He loves darts and uh, he hits the ball further, uh, further than than most players. Okay, but the thing is, his technique is actually quite average. He doesn't move his feet and pretty much completely relies on his eye. And that's why when he goes into these form slumps, they're always extended periods of time. You know, this guy. You want to see a guy really take the piss at work. Watch Aaron Finch in a form slump. This bloke will legitimately go missing in April and turn back up in November. And it's like we've we've had four tours in between there, you know. But because he's captain and when he's not in a form slump, the guy guy mows down some serious runs. So he's a real all-or-nothing player. You know, look at Steve Smith over the last few years in Test cricket. Steve Smith has basically been out of form for the last two and a half years or there or thereabouts, but he still averages 41 in test cricket in that time because his technique's good and he's got a good game plan, okay? Whereas Aaron Finch, his technique isn't good, so when he's out of form, it gets found out, okay? He's not moving his feet. He he comes at the ball with a diagonal bat. That's why he's nicking off to these left armers, and because he doesn't get forward enough, that's why he gets his front pad blown off when balls come back in. So... That's all well and good when you're in form and you're seeing the thing like a beach ball. But when he's out of form, it's a real issue. And now at the same time, he's 37 years old. So the eyes are starting to go and it's an issue. Okay. So what I think, I think don't drop him yet. Okay. And and, and in fact, like last year's Big Bash, Aaron Finch basically did nothing to the last three games. Okay. So, you know, he does have these crazy form slumps. And the thing is, he captains in the T20s and the ODIs. And this isn't the first time him having the captaincy has basically saved his spot. So what I think is they should strip him of the captaincy in both formats, okay? Steve Smith uh, plays in, in both things for Australia. You have Steve Smith, Marnus Labuschagne, Pat Cummins. Why can't these men captain? I believe that Steve Smith should captain in all three formats. 
He did a good job before before he got, you know, suspended for a year for the sandpaper incident. I think it's time we fucking forgive him properly, you know? I know he's eligible to be captain, but let's be honest, if it wasn't for the sandpaper thing, they would have picked Steve Smith over Pat Cummins. And let's be honest, look, okay, yeah, they cheated. But it's not like he did a fucking Louis CK and jacked off on some bird or something, you know? He cheated in a game of cricket. Who gives a fuck, okay? He took his medicine, he apologised, he served his time, fucking burst into tears at an international airport, you know? I can't believe he even agreed to that press conference, the poor guy. Has Steve Smith not been through enough? Just give him the captaincy back. He was a great captain, okay? So I think Steve Smith should just captain in all three formats. Failing that, I don't mind Marnus Labuschagne captaining the one-dayers. Failing that, I am heavily in favor of Glenn Maxwell captaining in the T20 format. If you've looked at Glenn Maxwell over the last 10 years, this guy is the first man picked for our T20 side. He's a freak. He's an absolute freak, okay? He's hitting fucking left-handed shots over backward point for six like he's facing four-year-olds or some shit, okay? Like, Glenn Maxwell should... And he's got a great cricket brain. He does a great job for the Melbourne Stars. Make Glenn Maxwell the T20 captain. And I'm, I'm kind of in favor of him being the one-day captain as well. I think he's an absolute gun. I reject the premise that Aaron Finch's leadership is crucial to the team. You know, because now they're not dropping him because he's the captain and he's going to captain the 2023 World Cup. And the reality is, if he wasn't captain, he'd be out the door, okay? We've got heaps of good batsmen coming through the wings. And the one-day side especially, um, there's no shortage of players, okay? And here's the thing. Don't drop Aaron Finch. I'm just saying, take the captaincy and just say, look, we're going we're gonna to let him focus on his batting. If he doesn't get any runs for the rest of the series, maybe we look at dropping him. But I honestly think there has been a couple of occasions in his career where if he wasn't the captain, he might have been dropped, okay? And maybe he would have fought his way back into the side. Maybe he wouldn't have. But the, the captaincy keeps saving this bloke. He takes like fucking six months off a year. He's a borderline shift worker at this point, you know? He's doing FIFO, but for the Australian cricket team. And it's like, mate, what are you doing? You know what I mean? We need more consistency from you, Finchie, you son of a bitch. And I'm an Aaron Finch fan. I think just take the captaincy, don't drop him, leave him there. But if he doesn't, if he continues to do legitimately nothing, which is what he's doing, he should be dropped. Okay, and yeah, there's no shortage of captains in the team and there's no shortage of batsmen to replace him. So I think, honestly, just that's the solution to this problem. Okay, so there's a bit of cricket bands for you in the start of September. Looking forward to this summer of cricket, I will say South Africa are coming over and that is going to be fucking red hot. Okay, so G up for that. Plenty of cricket bands coming this summer. That is the podcast for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, episode 201, great to just get episode 200 behind me. Round numbers, landmarks, etc. Episode 201, bit of fun there, bit of banter. And uh, yeah, like I said, Brisbane Encore Show, September 22. And then directly after that, September 24, I'm on the Gold Coast. Or September 25, I'm in Brisbane again. Then Port Macquarie, Newcastle, Wollongong, Sydney, the following week, all part of the homecoming 
comedy tour featuring Pat Doherty, Aaliyah Lavore, Alex Malinkovic, and Sam Bowden, and myself. It's going to be so fucking sick, and would would love to see you there. All of those tickets are available at the link in my Instagram bio. So, cool, dude. Thanks for listening. Way too long, way too long. Yeah, and I can see the ground now. I'm way too gone, way too gone.